Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, episode 147 of Newsday's New York Islanders Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Gross. And for the time being, I'll still give you my Twitter handle, and that's at A Gross Newsday. And uh, thanks for tuning in here. And as we speak, I am driving back to Montreal. Long story, yes, uh, I'm staying in Montreal for a game in Ottawa. But the Islanders have opened up a four-game road trip with a 4-2 win over the Ottawa Senators in which special teams absolutely made the difference. And to speak about that and all things Islanders, if you recall, uh, back during the summer, during the NHL draft, uh, Newsday teammate and good friend Colin Stevenson and I recorded a couple of podcasts while driving to and from Montreal for the NHL draft. So to continue that tradition, and since he is stuck in my car and I absolutely uh, am drafting him into doing this and he has no choice, I bring in my other good friend, Greg Picker. You know him from the New York Islanders radio broadcast. Greg, thank you so much for joining me on the road and on the Island Dice podcast. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, and unlike you who made the decision long time ago to stay in Montreal for this trip, which is, again, only about a two-hour drive, pretty easy drive between Ottawa and Montreal, uh, I had the intention of staying in Ottawa. Yes, yeah. <laughs> some, uh, some issues with uh, my flight forced me into a quick decision last night, and thankfully I knew that you were going to be in Montreal, and I had the backup plan of your rental car to take me between the two wonderful Canadian cities here. So, uh, yeah, nice uh, win for the Islanders tonight. Makes this uh, ride back east a little bit. Just that much more fun. That's actually est. Ah. Well, we're still in Ontario. We're not in Quebec yet. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I mean, there is a good portion of French-speaking Ontario as well. I believe Jean-Gabriel Pajot came from that uh, background. But let's start with Jean-Gabriel Pajot, if we shall. former senator, six-plus seasons with his hometown team, another goal in an Islanders jersey against the Senators in Ottawa. Uh, This one uh, on the power play proves the winner, and I'll tell you, what what, what the Islanders are seeing out of Jean-Gabriel Pajot this season is a little bit different from last season, and I, I, I think that's one of the reasons why the Islanders have won nine of 11. Uh, they've won two straight, and they sit at 11-6 and six as we drive through the night here. I mean, how many people were talking about him this past week just because of the face-off aspect? Yeah. He had two fantastic games in the past week plus just in the face-off circle. And, and how frequently do you hear that a player is the focus of a couple of wins because of his face-offs? But that's what J.G. Pajot was. Uh, one of the games, he went 20 and five on the on the faceoff circle, and then I think he followed up that maybe with a, an 18 and five game or something similar. Uh, tonight he wasn't as good in the faceoff circle, but he didn't have to be because he he did score a goal tonight on the power play, and we actually caught him on the radio post game, and he he laughed. Hey, it feels good to score one on a goalie because his only other goal this season was a big one. It was in St. Louis, but it was on an empty net to seal off the victory there. So this was his fifth career game against his former team in the Ottawa Senators. Second career goal last year. He 
scored a goal late to clinch a 5-3 win against the Sens, and that was what snapped an 11-game winless skid for the Isles. Much different circumstances this year as they go to 11-6-0, and really special night for the entire Ottawa organization. And when you look at the Islanders, obviously their biggest Ottawa connection is J.G. Pajot, and what we're referring to is Daniel Alfredson being inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. And that's why this game also was a little early tonight, 5.30 local puck drop, so the fans in Ottawa can stay after the game and watch the Daniel Alfredson induction speech. So JG, he also told us just how important Daniel Alfredson was to his early career. Story he told me was that after his first morning skate, he knew he was going to make his NHL debut that night. This would have been in the lockout short in 2012-13 season. Alfie stayed on the ice late with him and had just kind of a one-on-one -on -one drill to make him feel comfortable, make him feel welcome to the team. That's the kind of captain Daniel Alfredson was, and that's the type of, of person he was, and who J.G. Pajot, the type of guy he is as well. Yeah, no, and, and I was talking to Cal Clutterbuck about J.G. Pajot uh, the other day for a story I wrote specifically about Pajot's uh, face-off prowess and skill and uh, prescience in being able to tell his wingers and defensemen pretty much exactly where the puck is going at any opportunity. And Cal Clutterbuck said there are good hockey players and then there are really good athletes. And he said J.G. Pajot is one of the, the best all-around athletes he's ever seen or he's ever played with. And I thought that was a, you know, a, a, a coming from Cal Clutterbuck, and I'll be honest, like uh, uh, during intermission, I, I mentioned that to Lou Lamarillo also, uh, that Cal had said that about J.G. Pajot, and, and Lou's response was that Cal is one of the best all-around athletes that he's seen, and he specifically mentioned Cal's uh, golf game, which is pretty legendary amongst his teammates, but uh, you just see it when, when, when J.G. walks around without a shirt, you know, just... And, and, and when he's in shorts, just how built his his legs are and how muscular he is, even though he's he's really got a small frame. So uh, another change on his line today. They've been going back between uh, Zach Parisi skated with Matthew Barzell uh, and Oliver Wallstrom in this game, and he had Ross Johnson on his wing. And I, there, there was a stretch in the first period where it seemed like every time I looked down that Peugeot line was on the ice and every single face-off Peugeot was taking. As you said, the, uh, the, the the win percentage was not as high as it had been against uh, the Flames or in the, in the succeeding game against the Rangers. But uh, it just, it really fills out the lineup. And, you know, the Islanders, I guess sometimes we get a little too close to it. And it's very, very easy to nitpick things, especially when they lose two of four and they get shut out by the Red Wings, uh, you know, they, 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 they get shut out twice in, in, in four games. The Coyotes were the other one. Um, so you start to nitpick, but uh, talking to Senators coach DJ Smith before the game, he was asked, you know, why he considers the Islanders one of the best teams in the league. And the first thing he mentioned was their center depth. And you go Barzell, Brock Nelson, Pajot and Casey Sezikis and TJ Smith just said that really elevates the Islanders above a lot of the competition. And look, you know, they're never pretty. They're never pretty, and they always make it tight and tense, but they have won 9 of 11. 
and, and they're they're in a playoff spot uh, right now in the Metropolitan Division in the top three, not even a wild card spot. And uh, as I, uh, Dan Rosen and Colin and I uh, discussed on the previous podcast, you, you get to that Thanksgiving milestone, and if you're in a playoff position, you're 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 in pretty good spot for the rest of the season. So, Greg, let me ask you, you know, do you see? more of the flaws or more of the why they've won 9 of 11? I think you have to say why they've won 9 of 11. I mean, that's a that's a pretty good number there. Yeah. And some big wins in that stretch. Obviously, it started with that Colorado comeback. And this is no secret to anybody who's listening to this. All the comebacks that the Islanders have been able to put together. One of the best third-period teams in the National Hockey League. But just to get back to your, your center depth point, and it's also relevant because we're in Ottawa. We talked about J.G. Pajot. The last time the Islanders had anything really unsure at center would have been before the J.G. Pajot acquisition in 2019-20. Derek Broussard, who now is back with the Ottawa Center, so we saw him tonight, was brought in to be the 3C that year. It, it didn't work at center. He made an impact on the wing, but because it really just did not succeed so much at center. The Islanders went out to make that acquisition for Jean-Jean Pajot, and we're talking February into March of 2020, and the Islanders have not had any questions about center ever since that point, and that's something that is tough to find around the National Hockey League, where you are confident no matter which centerman is on the ice that you have someone that is of such a high quality and obviously, Sezikis, Martin Clutterbuck, Casey being the center of that line, we, we haven't gotten to this at this point, but it, it's really the throwback to days of old where I think part of the reason why maybe we haven't seen that last year was because there were a lot of injuries, and it was pretty rare to see the three of them together. Pretty common to have two of those three, but somewhat frequently, one of those three was out. So now that all three are healthy and back at essentially full strength and playing together. That's why it feels like those days of old, okay, these guys, there's a reason why they've been a trio for the better part of a decade. Yeah, and talking on centers, just staying there, Matthew Barzell with two more assists against the Senators, and that now gives them 18 in 17 games, yet without a goal. But it's still a point-per-game uh, uh, pace, and uh, if I'm recalling the uh, the final game notes correctly, uh, and Eric Hornick's, uh the, the Islanders' fine statistician, uh, his uh, his skinny on all this. Uh, Matthew Barzell is the first Islander, I believe, since the uh, in 38 years. It was Mike Bossy and uh, I believe Brian Sutter both had uh, 18 or, or 18 and more in the first 17 games. But you're you're going into very rare air there with the assist pace that Matthew Barzell is, is on this season. He's skating. He's really sharp on his skates. Um, but zero goals. And again, Dan Rosen and Colin Stevenson and I talked about this last week. And my take on this is he's, he's producing goals. He's being very effective. And uh, I'm not worried right now about the zero goals because he is looking to shoot on the power play. He took one through traffic that I thought actually was going to fool Cam Talbot. Uh, Cam actually saw that and smothered it. But 
What, what, what's your take on Matthew Barzell, his play so far, and where, are you worried about no goals at this point? I don't think you can be worried at all because the Islanders are winning games, and he has a huge reason to do with why the Islanders are winning games. And as we speak, and there are some games going on around the National Hockey League, but as we are recording this on our drive back from Ottawa to Montreal following the Islanders' win, Barzell's 18 assists are third in the National Hockey League. The only two guys ahead of him are Leon Dreisaitl and Nathan McKinnon. So that is some pretty good company. He's got one more than Connor McDavid, one more than Artemi Panarin. Now with those 18 assists through 17 games this year for Matt Barzell. Yeah, and, and you look at it, the, the producing goals, and obviously uh, Matthew Barzell isn't playing on these guys' lines, but uh, Brock Nelson with another empty netter. And boy, how... You know, it, it's a little thing, but how effective have the Islanders been skating five, uh, you know, five against six? Because uh, I don't know what the streak is. Maybe you have it off the top of their head, but they've probably gotten five or six empty net goals this season. Yeah, I, I don't have it right in front of me. Um, but one thing I did want to look up, and I'll, I'll do it as we speak, because I think Matt Barzell, as we talk about the, the shots and how some people would say, oh, he needs to shoot more. He's near the top of the Islanders list in shots yeah, this season. Yeah, he was third at one point. So right now he's down to fourth, just finally got it pulled up. But that's still right near the top of the list as he has 44 shots in the uh, 17 games played this year. Only six behind Noah Dobson for second. Brock Nelson does lead the way with 60, and Andersley has 47 for third on the team. So Matt Barzell shooting the puck, but more importantly, creating goals with uh, with his skill and setting guys up. And how many times already this season have we seen the, even the Scott Mayfield combination yeah. with Matt Barzell just May like two games ago? Mayfield with four goals already in a, in a contract year and his career high is five. I was going to mention that Barzy is not on, obviously, uh, Brock Nelson or, or Anders Lee's line, although Anders skated a couple of games with them. But both those guys, and my math, as everyone knows, is pretty hazy, but you're looking at, you know, they're on pace for high 30s, potentially skirting 40 goals if, if they keep it up in this for, for both those guys. And, uh, you know, if Barzell's not getting the goals, it's not like the goals are not coming. And for Brock Nelson, he's at this great pace where I think it might even be over 40 uh, at this point if he continues the way that he's gone through the first 17 games this season. He didn't have a goal for his first seven games. So he had seven assists. So that's why you knew, okay, because he's not producing the goals, it's okay. He's still playing well. He's picking up the assists and picking up the points. It's only a matter of time until the goals start coming. And the first two periods of the last home game before this road trip began, the, the win against the Columbus Blue Jackets, I mean, those first two periods were some of the best we've ever seen from Brock Nelson. I mean, from almost the, the moment the puck was dropped, you could tell he was the best Islander on the ice. And uh, it was a surprise that he didn't pick up the hat trick in the third period. Had a great chance on the power play. Was not able to even get the shot on goal when he was set up with the right dot. And it really just felt like he was destined to record the hat trick against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Would have been his second against the Jackets. The first of his career was also against Columbus back at Barclays Center. You know, another important thing tonight was uh, that the Islanders actually scored first, which remarkably is only the sixth time in 17 games where they've opened the scoring. And I know Ottawa did tie it up on a 5-on-3 power play goal, uh, but 
difference in, in playing with the lead. And I was talking to Ilya Sorokin the other day, and you know, this is how a goalie thinks. I was asked him, asking him about uh, any extra pressure on a goalie uh, being down one nothing, or you know, consistently. And what Ilya said, the way he looks at it, which is just so goaltender-like, is he said, of course he wants to play with the lead. The way he looked at it is, I should be able to allow my team to be up one nothing instead of down 0-1. And the way Ilya is playing, and it was Semyon Varlamov tonight in, in, in Ottawa, as Elaine Lambert is is not going to allow either one of those to sit on the bench for a long time, even when they're, the games are spaced out. It, it was looking like Ilya was playing two-thirds of the games to, to Marley's one. Uh, uh, based off practice, kind of thought that Ilya would get the start tonight in, in Ottawa, but I would assume he gets the start in Nashville. But, uh, you know, Varlamov was... was Penalty kill goes five for six, and as always, I thought Varlamov was their best penalty killer. Well, when we came into this season, the conversation was the Islanders might have the best goaltending tandem in the National Hockey League. Maybe there are a couple of guys who, around the league, their teams would say they have the best goalie, but I don't think there was anybody else that can truly say they had a better tandem than Elias Strokin and Semyon Varlamov. And the way that you hear the cliche all the time from guys around the league that play of, oh, it doesn't matter who's in the net for us. We know we have confidence in him. He's going to give us a chance to win. It's not a cliche from the Islanders players when you hear that because it's the absolute truth that at any given night, either one of those players is capable of stealing the Islanders a game. And they haven't really had to do so that many times this season. Uh, a couple of games in which the Islanders, that might or whoever it may have been, with 40-plus saves. But they haven't had to rely on that because they have been scoring. And maybe it's been coming a little bit more in the second half of games than, than they would have liked. you like yeah. to balance that out throughout the entire contest to go along with your point of not trying to come from behind. And tonight they didn't lead wire to wire but never trailed at any point in the game against Ottawa this evening. And, and there's certainly definitely a different feel when you're trying to come from behind and extra pressure that's involved. And that could grind you down over the course of 82 games. If you're picking up the points, if you're always having to come back from a goal or multiple goals down, it's going to grind at you. And it probably will cost you later in the season, even if you're able to continuously come back as the Isles have early in the season. And the previous game before uh, facing the uh, Senators and beating the Senators tonight was a uh, uh, 4-3 overtime win over the Blue Jackets at UBS Arena. And to your point, they came back from one-goal deficits three times in, in that game. Uh, the only lead they ever had was on uh, on, the, on Noah Dobson's uh, overtime winner. And I, I was watching that game, and look, the Blue Jackets... To say they're injury plagued does not quite describe the the situation the Columbus Blue Jackets are in. They were, you know, they they played three guys who were only dressing for their second game. They had a guy making his uh, NHL de debut, Marcus Bjork, who by the way scored a goal in the game. They had another guy making his season's debut, and I thought that was a game. If the Islanders had lost that game, you know, I know it's only one game out of 82, but that that 
if they had lost that game, I would have been thinking a lot different things about the Islanders. And the difference is the Islanders are coming back this season. Yeah, they've given up the first goal 11 times. They're, they're what are they? They're 5 6 and 0 oh in those games. And you don't want to do it often, but you know, that's almost being 500 when you give up the first goal does not happen in the NHL. Uh, for instance, I, I think last season they were what, like 825 and 9, something like that, 825 and 4 uh, when giving up the first goal. And there, there's just a different feeling in the room, and the, and the guys were talking about it after that Blue Jackets game. They, they, they feel like that resiliency and and that confidence that was there those two seasons they went back-to-back to, back to the NHL semifinals, that has returned to the room. And, you know, in that way, I thought that's why that Blue Jackets game was important. Well, you look at the way the schedule has broken down, too, and this was the, the stat that Eric Hornick had given me after the Ranger game. First 21, sorry, in, in the 82 games in the regular season, the Islanders will have played 21 against teams that won at least a single round last year. So, effectively, the Elite Eight of the NHL from a season ago. After the Ranger game this past week, the Islanders had already finished up nine of those 21 games. So, then you look at the schedule and say, okay, things are supposed to get easier from here on out. And uh, Isles couldn't get the job done against Arizona. And that Arizona team, who everybody really expected to be bottom of the NHL, yeah, they still probably won't be going to the playoffs, but they work really hard, have made it difficult for op opponents to win. They had a three-game winning streak to start their NHL tying record 14-game road stretch. So you go Arizona, Columbus, Ottawa. Three teams that have missed the playoffs for uh, a few years now. Arizona made it in the bubble playoffs, Columbus too, but uh, none of those teams have made it since over the last couple of seasons. So you, you think that, okay, this could be a really long winning streak as a result. Yeah, a little blip against Arizona, but Miles have come back and, and beat the Jackets, beat the Senators, who are also banged up. And that's on the other side of things. The Islanders have been pretty healthy this year. Yeah. They've been really fortunate yes. about that. And you hope it continues. But while it is the case, and it's probably not going to continue over the course of 82 games, that's just impossible for a, a physical sport like hockey is. But you take advantage while you can, and the Islanders have taken advantage right now by being healthy and, and beating opponents that, for the most part, haven't been as healthy as them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the, the Senators were another team that's uh, had their lineup impacted a little bit. You, you talk about the schedule, and we mentioned this is the opening of a uh, four-game road trip. The Islanders are going home for a day, uh, so it's... Maybe it's a one-game road trip followed by a three-game road trip. We could trip. call it a four-game road stretch. Yes, a four-game. That, that, that's actually very clever. I like that. Um, the next I started using that with the 13-gamer last yeah. year because you couldn't call it a 13-game road trip. It that was. implies you're on the road no. for over a month straight, but that's why we started calling it a 13-game road stretch because it was split up in, in four different segments. All right, I like that. Well, the next stretch, they are on the road for the whole thing. You go Nashville. Dallas, and then all the way back here towards Toronto, and you know, the cliche is there are no easy games in the NHL, but the, the, the playing in Nashville is never easy. John Hines has that team playing a very heavy game. Uh, Dallas plays with speed. 
Um, they've got a, a really, really good goalie. And then Toronto is always an emotional game. And, you know, even as the, the John Tavares stuff fades, uh, it's an emotional game because you have so many players uh, on the Islanders going back to basically their hometown to play. Um, as you look at the rest of this trip, what, what do the Islanders need to sustain? What do they need to do a little bit better to, to kind of step up? You know, let, let's face it, the, the, the Senators have only won five games. They played a very hard game. It was tense. It wasn't decided until Brock Nelson's uh, power play, uh, uh, empty netter. But it is a step up in competition, the Predators, uh, the Stars, and the, uh, and the Maple Leafs. So what, what, do, what do the Islanders have to sustain? What do they need to improve over this three-game stretch here? Just to compare it to tonight, stay out of the box. If you go into, into the penalty box as many times as they did tonight, six power plays against, you're not going to win most games. But they were pretty strong on the PK, gave up just the one that was a five-on-three goal, so not quite the same uh, as what they saw in the rest of the game. But that second period, I mean, it was just a, a parade to the penalty box, and it's it's hard on your, your penalty killers. I mean, J.G. Pajot, we talked about him when we started. He played some hard minutes tonight. Yeah. Over five minutes shorthanded alone for him. He played and, over 20 minutes total in this game. And he's on the first power play unit as well. So that that is a lot of double duty. He, he was always on the ice. Just to, just to go back to him, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, and you know, I, I asked Lane Lambert after the game because to me, some of those penalties they took, like, you know, Ross Johnson, a roughing call in the neutral zone, they were, you know, uh, high stick. Uh, it, it just seemed like they, there, there was some penalties the Islanders could have avoided there. And Lane did not agree. He did not think it was a discipline problem. But. You know, nine plus minutes of shorthanded time in the second period. It's uh, it really is a testament to the Islanders' resiliency that they were able to fight through that tonight. I think what sums it up best is the fact that they had again nine more minutes shorthanded than the the Sens did. So the Senators on the flip side, you know, nine more nine plus more power play minutes than the Islanders in that second period, and the goal differential was still the same. The Islanders went into the second up by a goal. They came out of the second, up by a goal. And when you can do that, despite having five minor penalties or four, three minor penalties and a, and a double minor against Scott Mayfield, who had some comments for the referee, I think he felt that Brady Kachuk, who was battling with in front of that, maybe even clipped himself or something. I never got a real solid look at the replay, but Scotty did say something to the referee just to kind of clarify as he was in the penalty box there. But, uh, you know, when you have that many penalty minutes and you can still come out the way you started that period, that's a good sign. But you, you never want to have to be in that position. No, no. And, and, and there was another weird one where I thought Cal Clutterbuck was going to get away with a high stick. And then it really seemed like the refs watched the replay on the arena scoreboard and decided to talk about it, and Lane didn't want to get into it after the game. That's the way it looked to me. How did that one look to you? You know what? It kind of felt that way, but I, I do think that high-sticking is one of those old penalties that the linesman can actually go to the referee yeah. and say, this is what happened. And I, I didn't actually see that happen on the ice after the whistle was blown, but... I think the most important thing is they got the call right there. Yeah, no, no. It, it was absolutely a high stick. 
And like I said, I thought Cal was going to get away from it. I, it. It was just amusing to me that you had a couple of Senators players with their sticks pointing to the arena scoreboard after they showed the uh, the replay there. But that, that's neither here nor there because uh, the Islanders killed that one off and they went on to the victory and now they're uh, uh, off to Nashville. Well, off home and off to Nashville. And, uh, you know, it's... To, to, to get back, you, you, you're getting to this point of the season where the, the season is not young anymore. We're, we're looking, we're, we're going to get to the quarter pole pretty soon here. And I, I, I think you're really starting to see what the Islanders' identity this year is. And uh, look, they, there are times they, they're not the fastest team in the NHL. They never will be. And when they play when they have trouble connecting on passes, and I thought that was an issue uh, first period against the Senators. They they look like they're they're much slower because they, they have trouble with the exit passes from their defensive zone. But they really do seem to have an, an identity, and it's a, it's a stout team. I, I really think it's a stout team in terms of the, the, whatever cliche you want to use, bend, don't break. Um, but they're, they're just piling, they're banking these points. And that's what Barry Trotz always talked about, was banking points. And uh, I, I mean, there were a couple of, in the, in the Trotz era, how about in the 1920 season, especially when they had the, the yeah. long winning streak and the 17-game point streak, and then things, you know, the second half of the season weren't that great, but they banked enough points early in the year that when everything shut down in March of 2020, they were still... In a uh, in a playoff position, and even if the NHL had only decided that eight teams from each conference were going to go to the playoffs, they still would have been invited to that party. Although obviously they went with the the twelve teams in each conference, but still it was because of the first half of the season when they banked so many points, and we aren't necessarily expecting the Islanders to take a nosedive, kind of like they did that season. But they're still banking points early this year, and there are a lot of teams in the Eastern Conference that aren't doing the same thing outside of New Jersey. And Boston, every other team has really had some blips to begin this season. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and to me, it's going to be very interesting to see because those two years they went to the uh, NHL semifinals. You bring up uh, uh, the, the one season, but really the other season as well. Um, they didn't necessarily go into the playoffs all gangbusters that year, and and it was just uh, this is a team made for the playoffs and. You know, you don't want to face them once you go in. And I think all of that still stands. I think it's going to be very interesting looking forward whether Lane Lambert can keep this team playing consistently. And it, it really is going to go, you know, you had the Ryan Pulak with the Achilles injury one season. Uh, uh, so, you know, you do have these devastating injuries that teams have to fight through and you know you never want to see a guy hurt but it is going to happen at some point it's just too violent a game too fast a game for, for injuries not to happen uh it's going to be really interesting i think to see whether the islanders can 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 stay consistent through that second half and, and not do that fade that was sort of you know sort of the defined a couple of those barry trots teams I mean, it's tough. It's an 82-game schedule. And, again, we're coming up essentially almost at the quarter point of this season. But for 82 games, it's hard to avoid those slumps. And 
just glad we're not talking about the anything like that in depth right now because outside of only two wins in the first six games, it, it hasn't been a struggle for the Islanders this season. No, it, there have been more games, more more games than not where the way I gauge it as a sports writer is do I know where I'm going with my story in the second period and a lot of times with the Islanders the answer is no <laughs> it, it, it's because it's all 2-1-3-2-4-3 games and you know you get into that third period and you, you're breaking out in the cold sweats because you're really the game's not defined. There have been more times than not this season, or more times than I can remember, where I am really confident in the second period of which way I'm going with my story. Now, the, the, the two times, and it was good for the Islanders, but two of those times were the uh, back-to-back 4-3 comeback wins over the Flames in overtime, and then uh, the Rangers the next night in the Garden. Like, in the in the second period of those games, I was pretty sure which way my story was going, and it went the other way. So that was good for the Islanders. But but uh, more often than not, you know, if the Islanders are going to win a game, I, I think it's uh, you know they've had that six-two win in Carolina, where it, uh, the game in St. Louis. It just from a sports writer's perspective, it's been a little less nail-biting this season. Well, tonight you can thank Daniel Alfredson for the early start time and thus you uh, being able to make deadline pretty, yeah, pretty well, easily. Yeah, well, it's never easy. There's always a deadline. <laughs> I, I was writing for the 9 p.m. deadline instead of the 11 p.m., but I'm not complaining. We got out and uh, we got back out on the road and uh, I just wanted to uh, circle back to the beginning and, uh, you know, Greg mentioned that this was not exactly his plan to be stuck in the car with me back and forth to Montreal. Greg, how stressful was your night at LaGuardia yesterday? <laughs> you know what? I am not a stressful traveler. Yeah. I think, uh, especially over the, the past year, uh, two years really, anybody that's that's traveled has had something come up. I've had a few things come up, but thankfully there's almost always a backup plan in place, and uh Thankfully, you were my backup plan with, with this rental car between Montreal and Ottawa. And here we are, head back a little bit east. And maybe one day we'll be able to stay downtown in Ottawa with a rink downtown. Because it's, uh, for anybody who hasn't been, been up here, it's probably about 30 to 40 minutes west, depending on traffic, of downtown Ottawa, where the Senators actually play. And, Hey, there's, there's always talk. Maybe some momentum will be built and they'll be able to get a downtown arena in the next few years. Yeah, no, they they have to move that team downtown. It's just people are, are, are losing interest going out. And, and when, you know, you, you talked about deadlines, but as a driver, we catch a break with the earlier start because there's only one road, the 417 uh uh, uh, what are we going? We're that going a, west. 417 East. Well, right now we're going east. I hope we're going yeah, east. Yeah, we're going east. If we're going west, then no. we're, we're headed towards no, Toronto. Not, no, no, not no. Montreal. We're heading east right now. We were going east uh, to the arena. And look, there have been a lot of times when you, you, you go out for a 7, 7.30 game there. You get on the 417 around 3.30 and the sun, the sun glare. Oh. I mean, you, you, you hit the afternoon traffic, you hit the sun glare, and that is one of the most difficult drives. And I know everyone listening is going, 
uh, you drive on Long Island all the time. I'm, I'm telling you, the, the 417 can be hellish going out to a Senators game. So uh, I'm all for downtown arena. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I won't miss Kanata that much. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, just as we continue the, this arena conversation, the last time you had me on your show, we were in Arizona. Yeah. And they're no longer in Glendale. And that was west of downtown. So a similar type of thing where the traffic builds up because you're driving west into that sun glare. And now they're a little bit east of downtown Phoenix. And hopefully in a similar situation to the Senators, they'll be able to get an arena plan going. They're on a little bit of an earlier timeline. I think they have a referendum coming up in a few months. So those fans in Arizona need to go out and vote if they, uh, they want that new barn for their yotes. And I guess uh, you just said that. That's that's bad on me. I can't believe it. We, we recorded that episode in the courtyard at the Renaissance. I, I remember you did have me on for a Zoom once. Oh, okay. But uh, that was our last in-person. Oh, okay. In our in-person recording. Right, right. Yeah, we, uh, during, the, during the pandemic. When, uh, yeah, but uh, that, that was a fun episode. We went over uh, just how to restructure the NHL. And, and another trip to Arizona coming up in December... And we're going to a 5,000-seat college arena, and I'm really curious to see the facility, to see an NHL game in that in that setting, and also to see if all of us can fit. Because the Islanders, and we talked about this on the dry vest uh, this morning, but the, the Islanders once again have a larger traveling media contingent, whereas, you know, in the past it was just Arthur Staple when he covered it for Newsday, and, but but now, you know, we, we, we can have, you know, and this is not even including the social media group uh, who do a great job, but we're, we can have up to four writers on the road, and, you know, we're going to Arizona needing seven or eight seats in the press box. I, I don't know if they have that. <laughs> well, I'm going to personalize this for me and Kinger. I'm excited just for a broadcast position that's what going to be twelve rows off the ice. Yeah, you might. As and well. I yeah. listen. I, I broadcast a lot of games in, in college at a similar arena, at Aganis Arena, Boston University. So I, I remember how great that was, and this will be pretty similar to that in terms of proximity to the ice. And you know, when we were at Barclays Center, we were probably twenty-two rows off the ice, which was a, a pretty fun position. So you know, a little bit of a different setting, and, and obviously not the long-term solution in Arizona, but for a couple of years, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, no, it's... I am of two minds, because I'll be honest, I, I think it's a little bit of an embarrassment to the NHL that one of their teams winds up in this situation. I get all the issues with Glendale, and this is... They're, they're making do with what they have to do, so I'm not going to get on the soapbox and go nuts about it. You know, if it's for a season or two, you know, it, it, it'll be looked back 10 years from now as just a, you know, one of those really weird things that happened in the NHL. But uh, uh, it's still, it's it's really going to be interesting out there. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that trip. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, chatting with you uh, again in the future about this Islander season. And I would say, you know, have a good night and thanks for joining me. But you're, you're still stuck in the car with me for another hour here, buddy. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we can go much longer. And uh, 
keep this episode going for another hour, but thank you for the invitation, although I kind of invited myself to this car ride, but you invited me on the podcast. Greg, always a pleasure, and uh, I, I appreciate it. You do a great job, both you and Chris King, and uh, it's always great picking your, uh, I didn't mean to make that pun, uh, to, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, get, you get your insight don't, on the Islanders. Uh, you can't forget Corey as well on our on our broadcast now each and every game. Yeah, no, Corey, Corey's Mr. Mr. Islander, you know, he, he does a fantastic job, and uh, I would consider having him on this podcast, but he's killing it on uh, Talking Islanders, and and maybe uh, we can uh, finish by you uh, telling everyone where to uh, get your podcast. Yeah, Talking Isles, uh, Corey Wright and I host uh, an interview-based podcast where we talk to plenty of, of former alumni and some broadcast personalities, a couple fans, Damian Woody was one of our first episodes, big big fan of the Islanders now, the former NFL player. Uh, that's at NewYorkIslanders.com slash Talkin' Isles. That's Talkin' without the G, or, of course, wherever you might find your podcasts. All right, Greg, thank you so much. And uh... 96 kilometers to Montreal. We see the <laughs> sign right now. All right. So I just wanted to circle back to where Greg Picker and I started our chat and uh, I did have a conversation with Jean-Gabriel Pajot about his face-off techniques and what he's looking for when he goes into the face-off circle. So here is J.G. Uh, Pajot on face-offs. Have face-offs always come naturally to you? Or, you know, I know you put in the work. Yeah. Is, is this a product of work, or is there a lot of natural I instinct? Think we, yeah, we, we do put a lot of works in it. And... Um, it's something that I take pride of. Um, I'm super competitive, whether it comes to face-off cards, whatever we, whatever I do, um, I'm super competitive, and I consider that as a one-on-one battle. And it's way more fun playing with the puck, so I do everything, every draw, to try to win it. And uh, I think a lot, a lot of it comes uh, with the help of your winners or the demons uh, winning their battles or boxing their guy out uh, on the dot. And I try to let them know uh, before we face off where the, mostly the puck's gonna go if I'm using my skate where it should, uh, yeah. should, which area the puck should be technically. Uh, I don't know if they listen to me a lot, but or not. But I, I think they've been doing a really good job helping me winning draws. Yeah, no, Zach just mentioned that, that you know you'll tell them where you know the puck's gonna go do, do, yeah. a, do, a lot, do a lot of centers do that or is that something you've developed yeah uh, I I think a lot of centers do it I think it's very important uh, to let your line mate uh, uh, know where the puck's technically gonna go because there's a lot of face off and it's a lot it's hard to focus on every draw and what is the center going to do? Is he going to tie up and kick on that side or is he going to just sweep it on, yeah. on my strong side? So I think it, it just makes, the, makes it easier for them. And uh, same thing in our D zone. When I take draws, and I try to tell our goalie uh, also if I'm going to win it towards him just to not surprise him and score my own goal. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> hey, um, so, so when you see the stat sheet after the Flames game and you see your 20 of 25. Yeah. What, what, what kind of feeling is that? Yeah, uh, it's a good feeling. Uh, it just means we we've, we've all done a good job. The five guys in the you know in the faceoff, uh, the wingers been helping, and the demons also. Uh, you know, a lot of pucks are 50-50s, and 
um, yeah, it's just it's, it's just good night. It shows that that we wanted that puck and it definitely helped to start with it. Did it did it feel like did it feel like twenty five faceoffs? Yeah, some some nights you you are forearms are sore, or, you know you yeah. get you get hit in the wrist or um, it is feels like a lot but when you don't chase the puck when you have the puck it's, it doesn't feel really like a lot but it's it's obviously uh, you know we got some, some good face-off guys here and it's, it's a lot of fun too Wayne was saying after the other game that one of the reasons he made the switch on, on the power play units and got you with the top unit was because of the face-offs you know how does that make you feel yeah yeah it's uh you know, it's a great uh, great mark of confidence from the from the the coaching staff to uh, to give me a chance there. Um, I'm gonna keep trying to you know to win every draw that I've uh, that I'm taking and uh, try to help the the power play after that. Uh, you know, like uh, uh, trying to, to to be a distraction in the middle and and open up some lanes for uh, for the other guys. So that would be it for this episode of Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. And until the next one, happy hockey, everybody.